Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. Today we're going to be looking at that final section in in Luke 23, actually the rest of the chapter, concerning the whole issue of Jesus dying. Now Luke, to be very honest with you, compared to the other gospel writers, does not give us as much detail, but that's not his purpose. He has his own purpose and what he's wanting to do. One of the purposes is, number one, to reveal humanity's response to Jesus, which causes us to do a self-examination of our own hearts, but also to reveal to us the grace of Jesus, the grace of God in the midst of it. So we're going to look today, we're going to look at from verse 44 all the way to the end of the chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to see exactly what it is that Luke wants us to see concerning the crucifixion of Jesus. So notice with me verse 44. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, And the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. And when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly, this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together in that sight, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision indeed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women had come with him from Galilee, followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. And then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. What we're going to do, folks, is with this section concerning his death and his burial, we're going to really divide it into four parts. We're going to look, first of all, at the occurrences. Luke really only lists two occurrences that occurred at the time of his death. We'll talk about those. We'll look at his death. There's some things I want you to notice about his death that are very important for you and I here. We're going to then see the response to his death. We're going to see how the crowd, the soldier responds. We're going to see how the crowd responds. We're going to see the response. And then we're going to just briefly mention his burial. Briefly mention his burial. So we're going to look today and, and kind of contemplate a little bit this morning what's happening with the death and burial of Jesus. Now, why is it important for you and I to do this? Well, because I think more importantly is the fact that we forget. What do you mean we forget? Well, if I said to you, everybody here, does everybody know that Jesus died on the cross? Oh, yeah, Jesus died on the cross. Does everybody know that Jesus was buried? Oh, yeah, Jesus was buried. And that's the end of it. Because we, we just assume, we know that, and we, we file that away in some filing cabinet in our mind. 
but it doesn't really impact us. It doesn't really, the, 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 the reality of it doesn't grasp us. So when you come to Luke or you come to any of the Gospels or you come to the writers of the New Testament, whenever they talk about Jesus' death, it is a significant event. It is, it is mind-boggling for you and I to consider that the God of the universe would allow himself to die for you and I. That's, it's that significant. So we need to spend some time, we need to contemplate, and we need to think about what's going on here. And that's why Luke gives us what he gives us. So let's look. First of all, the occurrences. Two things happen that are interesting. First 44 and 45 tells us this. Look what it says. Now, it was about the sixth hour. Now, let me explain to you what that means. They didn't have watches. They didn't have, uh, we're no longer in the age of watches. Have you noticed that? No more wristbands. Now it's your cell phone. They didn't have cell phones. You know, I, I used to carry a watch until I broke them all the time. Now I have a cell phone. Now I break my cell phone, okay? And, uh, you know, you, you check your time. Well, in their day, they didn't check time like we did. They didn't have a 12-hour clock. They went by the sun. And so they counted hours based upon when the sun came up. So let's say the sun comes up at 6 in the Middle East. The sixth hour would be what? 6 plus 6 is what? 12, right? Noon. So from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, 6 plus 9 is what? 15, subtract 12 from that, 3 o'clock. So from the sixth hour, from noon till 3, look at what he says. It was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. So from about noon until 3, there was darkness over all the earth, and the sun was darkened. What's going on here? Here's the first occurrence that's interesting. Darkness covered the land for three hours. Darkness covered the land for three hours. Now, people have tried to explain this. They tried to say, oh, it must have been an eclipse. Now, here's the problem with saying it's an eclipse, a solar eclipse, is that it's not possible. Why do you say it's not possible? It could have been that day. Well, when they had their Passover, when they had their Passover feast, it was always on a full moon. And there are no solar eclipses when the moon is full. Do you understand? That's not scientifically possible. So it's not that all of a sudden there was a, a, a natural event of an eclipse that took place. That's not possible because it's a full moon. The time was a full moon. The Passover is always on the full moon. So it's not possible for it to be an eclipse. Could it have been an eclipse type event? Yes. I'm not sure what it is. All I know is is that supernaturally, for three hours, from those final three hours to the point where Jesus dies... It went dark. Supernaturally, it went dark. There was darkness. Now, people have tried to explain that. One of the explanations they try to say is, is well, well, that's representative of the fact that darkness, spiritual darkness was in control. Because remember, when he was taken, he said, this is your hour. What? The power of darkness. Jesus said that himself. But the reality is, is that this is a significant event. This is not your normal death thing that's happening here. This is what's happening with Jesus. So this is one of the first occurrences here that Luke mentions. There's a darkness that has covered the land for three hours. The sec second occurrence is something that the folks there at the cross wouldn't be aware of, but all of the gospel writers make the point to tell us this. Look with me, verse 45, and it says this, And the veil of the temple was torn in two. And the veil of the temple was torn in two. What's going on here? The barrier between God 
and sinful man was removed. Now, the other gospel writers will tell us that the barrier was torn from top to bottom. From top to bottom. So it's not torn from the bottom up, it's torn from top to bottom. And it was torn, and you say, what veil? What are you talking about? Well, let me help you to understand the Jewish system for a minute. The temple was divided into different parts. Of course, there was the court of the Gentiles. That's where you and I could go and worship. There was then the next level. No Gentile could go beyond that, but the Jews would go beyond that. It would be the court of the women. And that's the only place the women could go. The women could only go that far where the court of the women was. The next court in was the court of the men. And that's as far as an average Jewish male could go. All right. Then there was the court of the priest. Then there was the holy place where the table of showbread was and the, the menorah and different things that were there. Only the priest could go there. And then there was the holy of holies where the most high was. That was where the ark of the covenant was. But that was the most holy place. And only the priest could go in there, the high priest could go in there a couple times a year, specifically on the Day of Atonement. But what separated the Holy of Holies from the rest was this very thick, very big veil. So there was the Ark of the Covenant and all of its awesomeness in this most holy place and a veil. And the veil was kind of a separation that God was there in all of his presence and all of his glory, but he was separated from the rest of us. Now, it's significant then that on the day in which Jesus died, it didn't just turn dark for three hours. The most unexplainable event happens in a Jewish mind that veil that separated God from the rest of humanity is torn. And as one gospel writer says, from top to bottom. What's significant about that? The barrier between man and God is removed. Aren't you glad for that? The barrier between God and man is removed. Think about that because, I mean, we don't grasp this. Let me, let me, let's kind of, let's, let's, let's kind of put it here in different perspectives. Okay, let me, I got a mic stand here. And maybe get another mic stand over here. So we got different places here. All right, let's say the presence of God is over here. And there's this barrier. And and, and, and let's kind of say who has access, the closeness of, of who has access to where God is, okay? So every one of us here, unless you're Jewish, we're over here. God's way over there. This is as far as we can get to him. Did you understand what I'm saying? In the Jewish system... We're here. Now, now, ladies, if you're a Jewish lady, you're doing better than a Gentile. Because you're in the next section, right here. This is as far as you could go if you're a Jewish lady. God's way over there. This is as far as you can go, because you can't go past there. In fact, stop for a moment. You say, well, I can go anywhere I want to. I can go there if I want. No, you couldn't, because they had a sign saying, if you pass this point, you'd be killed. And they'd kill you. I mean, they didn't bat an eye. You were dead. All right? And this is as far as the ladies would go. And the ladies wouldn't go any further. And then the next section here is where the Jewish men would be. A little bit closer, but still not close enough. And then beyond this would be the priests. And as you get closer, there are only certain priests who can get there. And then you've got this barrier, because God's behind here. You've got this veil And only one guy could go in there, 
couple times a year. In fact, they would tie a rope to his leg. In case he was struck dead, they could drag his body out. Did you know what I'm saying? You say, did that kind of thing happen? Read the Old Testament. It did. Read the Old Testament. It did. But here's what's significant. On the day when Jesus dies, on the day when he was crucified, it didn't just turn supernaturally dark for three hours. Luke wants to make the point, which is important for us, because who he's writing to, understand who Luke's writing to. Luke is a Gentile writing to who, folks? Gentiles. That's you and I, non-Jewish people. He wants to make the point that the barrier was broken, was torn. And we all have access to God's presence now. Isn't that awesome? That's because of Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? Because here's the thing. We didn't have much access before. Now we have it. And that happened on the, on the day he died. That's, that's the first thing Luke wants to do. He shows us these two occurrences. He goes on then and he, he looks at verse 46. Verse 46 really just talks about his death. So look with me at what it says, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Here's what we want to see about his death. First of all, he entrusted himself to the Father. He entrusted himself to the Father. You know, you and I would look at that, and on the surface we would say, oh, yeah, he's just making that final statement. He's, he's ready to die. He's saying, here I am. Take me, Father. No, it's more than that. There's more meaning here that you need to see. What's going on here? Let me help you to understand. To understand what Jesus is saying here, you need to understand why he went to the cross. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you want to write that down, write that down. To understand what Jesus is saying here, you need to understand why he went to the cross. Well, he went to the cross to give us forgiveness, George, and to die for our sins. Yes, that's one of the reasons why, but that's not the reason. What do you mean? The reason why he went to the cross, he tells us, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, was in obedience to the Father. Do you understand what I'm saying? The primary reason why Jesus died on the cross isn't just because he loved you and he wanted you to have forgiveness and wanted you to have eternal life. The primary reason why he went to the cross is because Daddy told him to. Do you understand what I'm saying? He was being obedient to the Father, God the Father. And so when he makes this statement that into your hands, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, he's, he's basically saying, you know what, I'm doing what you're telling me to do, and I trust you as I'm getting ready to die because I'm doing what you ask me to do. That's what he's doing here. It's a statement of trust. It's a statement of commitment from Jesus the Son to God the Father. Do you, do you see what I'm saying here? So that's the amazing thing about his death. This death is basically Jesus trusting himself to the Father. Because why? He's doing what the Father wanted him to do. Why? Because it's the Father who loved the world. Isn't that what John 3.16 says? For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. It's because Jesus did what God told him to do because God loved us. And so here he is. He's entrusting himself to the Father. Here's the other thing I want you to see, and this is the significant thing. Mark a star by this one because this is important that you understand this. He gave up his life. His life wasn't taken from him. 
They didn't kill him. You say, well, he's being crucified there, George. He was going to die eventually. Yes, yeah, eventually, but he could last maybe two weeks on there. That's what they know about crucifixion. It didn't kill you immediately. It's torture. It's not instant death. The point is, is that Jesus here, he breathed his last. He gave up his life. That's the point I want you to understand, is that he, it wasn't taken from him. He wasn't tragically killed. He allowed himself to be killed. He gave up his life for you and I in obedience to the Father. That's what's significant here. That's what's so important. In fact, I'll be honest with you. It, that's why it's amazing, even when you read the Gospel writers, and it gets close to the time of where the Sabbath is going to start. Remember, they didn't want, want the criminals on the cross, and so the, the Jewish officials kind of pressed for them to get them off the cross soon. So what did the soldiers do? They came by and broke the legs of the two criminals. But when they came to Jesus, they were kind of amazed because he was what? He was already dead. They didn't expect him to be dead already. That's why they, what, thrust the spear through his side just to be sure. Didn't break his bones. He gave up his own life. Now, you and I got to grasp that for a moment. Because, you know, so much time you listen on the news and you listen to, it happens around Easter, always around Easter, some major news magazine will, will put Jesus on the front cover. Do you notice that's been happening the last few years? So they'll talk about it. They'll bring up what this gospel that was written 300 years later says, this, that, or another. And they all try to take away from the, the, the point of his death. And they'll say things like, oh, he was just a tragic figure. Terrible things happened to him. Here, I want you to understand. Let's get it in perspective. Here's what the four gospels are going to get you to understand. He's not a tragic figure. He's not just a good guy who got the wrong deal. Jesus is God, and he allowed himself to be taken, to be beaten, to be nailed to a cross, and he gave up his life on his own. You and I need to grasp that. Why? For us, because he was the perfect sacrifice for our sins so that we might have forgiveness and eternal life. That's an awesome thought. He gave up his own life. They didn't kill him. He gave up his own life. That's the point the scripture wants you to understand. And he did it all for who? You and I. You and I. Do you understand why it's so important now that we've got to go beyond just simply believing that he died for us? You've got to understand it. You've got to grasp the significance of it. You've got to grasp the significance of it. So then notice now the response. There's a couple of responses here. The response of the centurion or the soldier, and then the response of the crowd. Okay? Look with me, verse 47, what's going on here. So when the centurion saw what happened, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. Okay, George, help me to understand what's going on here. Well, first, the point I want you to see here is that the soldier declared that Jesus was righteous. 
What's going on here? He glorified God. Was he a believer? No, he wasn't a believer. The way that the text is written in the, in the original language is, is that he declared Jesus as righteous. Now, the word that's used there as righteous can also be interpreted as innocent. But the implication is, is that he was meaning more than that Jesus was innocent. So here's the centurion. First of all, what's a centurion? Well, he's not just a normal foot soldier. Centurion comes from the word that we use for a hundred. So he was a leader over a hundred Roman soldiers. Okay? So maybe he was a captain. Okay? And if you use our military system, you know, he was like a captain. Okay? Because a company would have more than a hundred, and you have a captain over a company. So he's kind of like the captain. So as a captain, he's the guy who's there leading, watching, making sure the crucifixions happen in order. And so he's watching everything that's transpiring. He's probably seeing it go dark for three hours. He sees the forgiveness that's being shown. He sees probably, he's watching all of this. And so he makes this pronouncement, whereby with his pronouncement, he ends up glorifying God. Because he declares Jesus... To be what? Righteous. Righteous. Because he's amazed. This is not the typical crucifixion. And believe me, would he know what a crucifixion was like? Yes. Because that was normal practice for them. They didn't have crucifixion 101. They knew what to do. They did it all the time. In fact, here's how barbaric they were. Usually when they went into cities and took it, they would crucify the inhabitants. They would line the row, the roads with crosses with people being crucified. They knew what they were doing. So here he is, he's witnessing all of this, and he's saying, this is not normal. This guy is different. And he's not just innocent. There's something righteous about him. So that's the first response. Here's the second response. It's the crowd. And this is interesting because you look at this and it's like you're blown away by this and it causes you to have all kinds of thought. Because here's the crowd. Let's remind you about this crowd. It's the crowd that welcomed him a week earlier to cries of Hosanna. It's the crowd that the day before, actually that morning, is crying what? Crucify him. It's the same crowd who, during the crucifixion, Luke tells us, is what? Mocking him. If you're the Christ, come on down. You can do this for other people. Can't you do it for yourself? It's the same crowd. Do you understand? Luke doesn't make the distinction here. He's making the point that this is the same crowd. So notice now how they respond when he dies. Look at what it says. Verse 47. Excuse me, verse 48. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, so here's the whole crowd that comes together just to see this thing. Okay, we already talked about that before. People just like to see what's going on. Look at what it's seeing what had been done. Beat their chests and returned. What's going on there? Well, beating of the chest is a sign of grief. So here they are, they show up, they even mock him. But when he finally dies, it grieves them. What's going on, George? 
Well, I've thought about this a long time, and I think this is what's going on. In the three years of his ministry, when he went from town to town in Galilee and Judea, as he taught and as he healed, always you read about what? The crowd showing up, the crowd wanting something, the crowd getting it. To a point they got it. They came for healing. They were healed. They saw the miracles. They they heard the teaching. When he comes to Jerusalem, in their mind, remember, they want to make him a king. Several of the passages, the Gospels will say they want to make Jesus a king. Jesus doesn't allow them to make him a king. So they think he's the Messiah. So here he comes. He's coming to Jerusalem. Oh, yeah, he's our, he's our fighter. Yeah, he's going to break up the Romans. Yeah. But did he do that? No. So by Thursday, Friday morning, when Pilate presents him, Beaten, mocked, this inner guy, get rid of him. We don't want him away with this man. Crucify him. So they take him, but yet they remember, this is the guy who did heal. Because, folks, he healed. You probably knew somebody who he healed. You probably saw him do the miracles. This is the guy that raised the dead. So they're like, hey, can't you do that for yourself? They're expecting something to happen. But he dies. And it probably hits him. That they killed him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because it was their voices that put him on the cross. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Because remember now, Pilate three times had said what? Don't crucify him. I don't find any reason for him. But they said what? Crucify him. So the crowd, the crowd was grieved. The crowd was grieved. And so he's dead. Notice now, verse 50 to 56 gives us a little bit of an introduction here of his burial. We see Joseph of Arimathea going and uh, asking for his body of Pilate. He takes the body down. Uh, for those of you, maybe a word of information. Notice it says they wrapped him in linens. Okay, how they would, uh, I know there's the Shroud of Turin thing, and everybody thinks that's the burial cloth of Jesus. It might be, uh, but the reality is, is they wrapped bodies back then in strips of cloth. So Jesus' body, text tells us very clearly here that he's, his body was wrapped in grave clothes. He was wrapped. And, in fact, just to help you to understand, remember when he raised Lazarus and Lazarus came out of the grave? He, he told them to what? Loose him and what? Set him free. Why? Because he's wrapped. And so they wrapped his body. But here's what I want you to see. The point of verse 50 and 56 is this. Jesus was hastily buried in an unused tomb. That's what's coming out of this text. They just wrapped him quick enough. They didn't go through the normal process of what they would do for the dead. They just wrapped him quick enough, stuck him in an unused tomb, and they closed the door. Why? Because the Sabbath was coming. Why? Because they were not allowed, according to Jewish laws, to do any work on that day. And taking care of the body would be considered what? Work. 
work. So they did just enough to make sure he was buried, and then the ladies went home, got everything ready to go back when the Sabbath was over to be able to prepare the body. That's what we see there. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.